And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast on a Thursday morning on the East Coast. So we're going to talk about a couple of Western Conference teams today that don't get the limelight of the Los Angeles teams. And we're going to start with the Phoenix Suns. The Phoenix Suns are no longer a cute, feel-good, feisty story. It's time to talk about the Phoenix Suns in the light of, wait a second, is there something, there's something big going on here? They are 23-11, and 8th in offense, 5th in defense, 3rd in net rating, 2nd in the Western Conference in terms of good old team record ahead of uh, both LA teams. They are 15-3 and three in their last 18 games. It's time to start asking the question, is something serious going on here? And there is nobody better to ask this question of than <laughs> one of the greatest pure scorers in the history of the league, 19,000-plus career points, current color commentator for the Suns, the one and only Eddie Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Zach. Thanks for having me, man. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm like, it's surreal for me uh, this year so far. It's been a great year, as you see. I got my fight in the line I had on. You know, we're ranked probably, we're probably going to move up to number two in the country after we put our foot on the necks of the Michigan Wolverines. All due respect. All due respect to my boy, uh, Juwan Howard. I I love what he's doing. And then my sons, you know, finally, after 10 years of oblivion, I can actually wear this shirt and be proud. So, yeah, I'm excited. Oblivion is really... If if I mean I did a whole podcast during the bubble with our colleague, my colleague Michael Schwartz in our research department, who's like the biggest diehard Suns fan at ESPN, and we went through all all of it. Dragon Bender, Marquise Chris, <laughs> yeah. Earl Watson getting fired three games into the season, the goats in the yeah. office. Lindsey uh, Hunt. Yeah, I mean, all- oh, Lindsay, the Lindsay Hunter era. I forgot about that. He had a very particular kind of tie that he prefers, uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and and all of it. And boy, oh boy, you've been have you been, you were there the whole time. I think like you've been you've yeah. seen a you've seen a lot of weird and bad basketball. I've been there for twenty years. It's my twentieth year, and so I, I can't be a hypocrite because obviously my first ten years were tremendous. Uh, you know, the Steve Nash era uh, was as popular as this organization has been. Uh, in all due respect to, you know, the Kevin Johnson, Tom Chambers, yours truly era, leading yeah. to the Charles Barkley era. Uh, the Steve Nash era of Mari Stoudemire and Sean Marion was unbelievable. And so I was spoiled the first 10 years. I walked into arenas on the road with my chest out. You know, all the other analysts were a little bit envious and jealous. And (laughs) in the last 10 years, man, I've been, you know, they've been handed it to me. Uh, So uh, it's good to be back on the map, man. And it's not going anywhere. I think this team is here to stay for a while. Well, first of all, if people don't, if people, you know, sometimes when you watch the League Pass broadcast, now you get your choice online of, of which broadcast you want. Give the Suns a listen. Kevin Ray has done a really nice job stepping in yes. on play-by-play. And Eddie Eddie pulls zero punches, including <laughs> with the Suns' own players. You're not a homer. You'll, you'll, no. you'll call them out if need be. And you're also – you have some old-school tendencies, but you're not one of these guys who hates the new school, hates the threes, hates all no. the way the game is played. Back in my day, this and that. You have a nice mix of – now, wait a second. There is still value in that mid-range shot, that long two, right. which, by the way, the Suns are cashing in on all that value. But embracing the way the game is played now, you're funny. And I just, it's a, I highly recommend the broadcast. I think it should get a yeah. lot of love. 
Thanks, Zach. I appreciate that. And you're right. It, it is like a, a tedious, you know, situation when you try to, you know, stay in between the new school and the old school aspect of playing. And, and I know analytic people sometimes get on me because they think I go overboard sometimes. But I just like the balance of the game. I think the purity of basketball, to me, in its most beautiful form, uh, was when players just pretty much stayed within the realms of what they do well on the basketball court. And and that's just always been something that I uh, I grew up with that, and I felt my success was there with it. And when I watched the Suns team, I think they epitomize what I'm talking about. Uh, they have two of the best mid-range game players in the league, in, in Devin Booker and Chris Paul. Uh, they have tremendous three-point shooting. Uh, they have a big man in DeAndre Ayton. They got an old-school, low-post guy in Dario Shark. I mean, they have a Michael Cooper-type defender in Mikael Bridges. I mean, so they have, a, they have a little bit of everything, and that, to me, makes the game of basketball beautiful. So let's start um, – let's just start with this question. I just went over all the credentials that the Suns have, okay? I think in most of the media discourse, they are still perceived as like, oh, this is kind of a cute – cute team you know cp wherever cp every broadcast now wherever cp goes wins follow no one is asking the question yet of wait a second should should we be taking this team seriously as, as a threat to do real damage in the west all of their statistical uh credentials suggest uh yes we should the yeah. eye test the eye test is i mean they are just rock solid rock solid team they have an identity they play to it so i'll ask you this why do you think other than they've just been bad for so long, why do you think we're stuck so far in the? Are they just a, a cute team? Is is there something? Is there something they're they're missing that makes it harder to take them seriously as like a team that can go toe to toe with the Lakers and Clippers? Is what do you think about that? Well, I, I think you know, and you know this. I mean, you don't win consistently in basketball without great guard play. But in saying that, the big man. The, the forward, the athletic guy, they always get the attention. And, and so if you look at this Phoenix Suns team, they don't wow you with athleticism. Uh, they don't wow you with that name that can just jump off of the pages. Uh, Devin Booker's getting there. We know Chris Paul is a tremendous game manager. But in a sense, they're like kind of boring. You know, they, they, they don't wow you with excitement per se. And and I think that's why it's hard for people to kind of buy in to what's happening here. They have a lot of guys that are not household names. I mean, Jay Crowder went to the finals last year with Miami. Uh, Mikael Bridges, you know, is a kid out of Villanova that has success. Woo, uh, Cameron is he good, Johnson. by the way. Woo, yes, is Mikael Bridges yes, good? Yes, he is. Uh, Cameron Johnson. So I think, Zach, that's the key is that, you know, they just don't wow you with their personalities. And and I think that's happened to a number of teams in the history of this game. And and I, I guess I'm reminded back to the Detroit Pistons when they won the title with Chauncey Billups. I mean, they didn't wow you with personalities. They were just a team that put their shorts on and went out there and fought you every night. And you look up at the end, uh, they won a championship. And I think the Suns are that kind of team. So I think there are three – and you're hitting at two of them. I think there are three sort of overarching issues that even I sort of struggle with when I watch the mm -hmm. Suns of like, is this team a good team or, or potentially something more? Um, let's start with two that I think are interconnected. They are, they're the second slowest paced team in the league, right? And that's a Chris Paul thing. Right. When Chris Paul right. comes, you're going to play slow. You're going to play methodical, but 
right. beneath that are, are, are two interconnected issues. Um, they're last in free throws, and they're 28th in shots at the rim. So they're just not getting some of the easier buckets and free throws that you typically are going to need to scrounge against the best teams. Um, and I think there's also a general, I don't know what the right word is, maybe curiosity of like, what exactly is DeAndre Ayton? Like, what is he What is he doing on this team? What is he doing for this team? And those two are very interconnected, right? DeAndre yes. Ayton averages two and a half free throws a game. For a guy with his his size and his skill set, that's always been a bugaboo for him. So take the rim stuff and the Ayton stuff. Take it mm. either direction you want. What of that is concerning to you? Uh, probably more so Ayton continuing to develop. Because I, I think the way the Suns play – it's not exciting for regular season, but you and I know come playoff time, that's the way the game's going to be played. Uh, it's not going to be as fast-paced. Every possession is going to be extremely important. So I think the Suns are more so built uh, for the playoffs in that regard. Uh, you know, the shot clock's going to be exhausted. Uh, teams are going to throw different defenses at you. And the Suns are a very good half-court team. And so that's what it pretty much bogs down to come playoff time. So I'm not worried about that, uh, but more so, yeah, Aiden, because I think Aiden is the key. Uh, if he continues to develop, uh, he gives the Sun something that teams can't come back. A 7-2 guy, 7-1 guy in there, we can throw him the ball, and if he can finish and keep that defense honest and keep them off of Devin Booker and Chris Paul in the perimeter – I think that helps the Suns. Uh, Dario Sharik showed us something the other night against the Lakers where he went old school, low post. Uh, and he's capable of doing that. And I think, to me, that's how you win. That's how you win deep and go into the playoffs. So I would be more really worried about the development of eight uh, catches in the paint, you know, off the two-man game, making sure he's continually concentrating on hand-eye coordination, getting the ball, and then going up strong. Because you're right. Two free throws a game is not good for a guy that side, especially in an era where a guy can breathe on you and you can get to the foul line. Well, they're, so, <laughs> yeah. they're also 26th in offensive rebounding. So, like, all the all the just sort of, like, interior toughness. And part of that is they play four out. They've clearly committed to this, like, we're going right. to play four out. We're going to have one big guy and a bunch of wings and guards. And that that right. generally has, has worked for them. Dario, by the way, what an interesting career for Dario Sarge. This is the NBA now. He came in as a three, and in like the blink of an eye, he's a backup five. It's 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 just crazy how he's just slid Food all the way good. down. Food's huh? been good. Food's been good. Yeah, like, <laughs> put us away. <laughs> Come on, Zach. Hey, look, these dudes start eating that good food. That weight start piling on. He's living the life, you know? But he but but he's taking care of it. He's had his issues. Uh, and, and growing into that body that he's that he's changed, uh, and and so that's part of his problem right now. That you know it's not always a definite he can get on the court, uh, and he's gone through it obviously over the last two years. But yeah, he is an old school low post dude. He can't jump over a nickel. Uh, he's learned how to get separation from the defender and the ball which a lot of these young guys don't understand. They just need to look at some film of Charles Barkley, Adrian Dantley, Mark Aguirre, and they'll figure it out. Uh, but they don't do that. Uh, but, yeah, Sharik is a guy that understands how to get his shot off now over bigger guys. And Yeah, he's going to be a huge – he's going to be huge. He, look, he was huge in the bubble uh, yeah. last year, 
And he's going to be huge again because he can step it out to the three-point line when, you know, if you're trying to defend him tough down in the paint. He's reminding me, I wrote about this his rookie year. We always make these player comps, and some of them are nonsense, but he, he has reminded me since he came into the league of Boris Diaw for exactly yeah. all the reasons you just like outside in. He just kind of spins and hits you with yeah. his butt and hits you with his back, and then he's at the yeah. rim for some flip shot. He's a good passer. Yeah. Um, so eight, let's talk about Aiden, because I've said several times on my podcast, I think he's one of the most important players in the NBA over the next five years. Um, his scoring is down by three and a half points this year. His defense, I'd be interested to hear your opinion of his defense, but just what do you look at second half of the season? Like, what do you want to see from him? And, and, and look, when you get two ball dominant guards, he it's, it's, I think tougher for him to find his spots and how he wants to contribute to the offense, but he can do, he can screen and roll. He can pick yeah. and pop. He can post. Like, what do you want to see him lean into? What kind of player should he be for this team? If I had to take a choice for him right now, and that means this year and this team being able to get very far in the playoffs, it's his defense. Uh, I just think, you know, you, the, the gentle the gentle giant character, we've, we've heard that throughout, you know, basketball, right? I, I remember reading something about Wilt Chamberlain, and, and Wilt said he was always afraid that he would hurt somebody, literally maybe kill somebody on the basketball court, so he held back. And we've seen that with a lot of big guys because, you know, they've been told when they were young that, you know, some parents didn't even want them playing against their kid, right, because they knew that they would hurt their kid. Uh, and so you develop this, this sense that, you know, of passivity. And I think that's what Aiton is dealing with. And he's still a young player, and he's got to understand that intimidation uh, can become a major part of his game. Uh, and he has to continue to grow to that. And don't worry about it. What goes on between the lines, it just happens. You got to be ferocious. Like when I played and I was getting ready to drive the ball the few times I did, if I saw Kevin, <laughs> if, if I saw Kevin Willis in there waiting on me, Woo. if I saw Bill Lambeer in there waiting on me, uh, I thought two times about it. Uh, if I saw Buck Williams in there waiting on me, I thought about it because they would hurt you. And literally not try to hurt you on purpose, but they gave you the sense that if you come in here, you're going to hit some combustion, man. And you kind of hesitate. And Aiden has to develop that. I think MB has that. That's why he's in the running for MVP, uh, that he will attack you. He will be very aggressive with you. Uh, and you tend to back off of it, you know, knowing that he might. Aiden is intimidating. He's one of the largest players in the league, one of the largest we have seen. He has a tremendous body. And that attitude that he's going to try to break the rim down every time he dunks instead of laying it up, uh, his fouls mean something. Like, you get six. You should never end the game and have less than three fouls. Never. It is, it is no value in saving fouls. Fouls are there for you to be able to hit somebody. And get to that point where if you play in the Phoenix Suns and you drive that ball, he's in there waiting on you and he might block it or he might hurt you. And that tends to hesitate in the mind of a lot of players and it helps your defense even more. That's what I want from him now more than anything. I think his offense will come. They don't need a lot of his offense. The Suns have plenty of scores. 
They just need him to finish at the rim. But his defense, I think, is imperative this year. Yeah, I thought defensively, he's had such a fascinating career. I thought as a rookie, defensively, he was about as bad as a big man can be in the NBA. It was very clear that the NBA game was unfamiliar for him. Guarding in space was too fast for him. Last year, I thought he improved as much as anybody can improve from point A to Mm -hmm. point B. This year, I wonder if you think this is fair. This year, I feel like he's gotten a little bit worse. Like he, I don't think he's been as good this year as he was in the bubble. Is that fair? Or do you think I'm? Uh, do you think he's about the same? Where do you think he's been? No, no, you're not off center with that. And I, I think Zach is protecting him with that one. Is more so that he's got a ton of people in his ear right now, and Chris Paul's in there at nauseum, right? In, in a great way. I mean, and, and Chris Paul's really going to help develop him. Uh, I think that now he's opened his ears to actually listen, finally, right? And because most young players think they know everything when they get in the league. And now with the win, with the, the, the year of losing and now the winning, he understands, the, the I think, the excitement of having success, and he's receiving teaching from Monty, from, from Devin, from Chris, from Mikhail. I mean, they're all on him. They do not allow him to rest during the game. And to his defense, he has received it. I have not seen during the course of a game where he's gone at them guys because they all know that if he wanted to pick them up and break them in half, he could. <laughs> so right, so he's huge. He, People, he is. He doesn't play like it because all he wants to do to me yeah. is like post up and take these turnaround jumpers and blah blah, yeah. yeah which are never going to be high efficiency shots for him. But he is gigantic i mean yeah, he is yeah. not just like one of you see these guys like i was watching memphis last night xavier tillman senior great rookie doing great he's six eight playing center like deandre yes. ayton is a legit seven whatever he is he's gigantic right and if he had tillman's toughness right now right and then credit tom Izzo for being a tremendous coach not knocking the coaches at arizona even though i like asu better but uh <laughs> but you know I, I think you know tillman you know, and that's a great example, Zach. I mean, he's a man. I mean, this guy stepped. He's a great defensive player at Michigan State, anyway, and he's brought that to the league. And and again, he has that toughness about him. And and sometimes it's just hard to teach it. Rashawn Holmes for Sacramento. I mean, I love watching him play because he will hurt you. And and again, I think Aiden will get to that point once he continues to get a taste of winning. Uh, if he doesn't, it's going to be a disappointment for him in his career. Because I think right now he and Joel Embiid uh, should be the most intimidating big man in the league. Now, Rudy Gobert is intimidating, but not from a physical standpoint. It's from a finesse standpoint. But he is so good defensively, he probably doesn't have to scare you like that. But with Aiton and, and Embiid, I, I think that intimidation to come in the paint uh, is, is parallel when I try to look at Aiton and expect him to get to a certain level. Uh and so, as I said to you earlier, he's the key to this team. I don't care what all these other guys do. We know we're going to get the great play from Devin, from Chris Paul. You can probably throw Mikael Bridges in there now. Uh, and and if they can get that from Aiden, uh, they're going to be very difficult to beat come playoff time. Is, it, is Embiid your MVP, by the way, if you had to vote right now? Right now, I think he's by a sliver over LeBron. Just based on what's happened, you know, over the last, you know, few weeks or whatever, but we've seen this with LeBron in the past. People know his career. I mean, he reaches a stretch where his team's kind of struggle. It is, you know, he looked fatigued, and 
But Embiid, if he wants this award, he has to understand he wants that it. in the second half of the season, he's going to have to ramp it up even more because that dude's going for it. He, he hasn't been this close to getting it, LeBron has, because, you know, obviously Giannis over the last two years. and But now I think he senses that, you know, people are in his corner to give it to him. And so Embiid's really going to have to have a great second half of the season, I think, to hold on to it. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream. Your team. Call 1 800 Direct TV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. One of the interesting things about the Suns this year is how they've tried three different starting lineups. And mm-hmm. uh, the first one with Jay Crowder at the four has, has a minus six point differential. Now we can talk about whether that's real or not. Then they tried Cam Johnson at the four. They ditched that one pretty fast. That one actually worked all right. Then they've tried Kaminsky at the four. Yeah. Kaminsky shooting 42% from three. That lineup is plus 13 per 100 possessions. It's the best of them. But if you dig a little deeper, um, opponents have only shot 22% on threes against that lineup. So there's some luck in that figure. They've yeah. shot 42% on threes against the Crowder lineup. So I have my answer to this question. Maybe you don't care. Maybe you're one of these people who says starting lineup, we, we overblow it. It matters who finishes games, not who starts. Mm. But I do think this is an interesting window into how Monty envisions this team. And lately, I'm almost wondering, is he switching it based on matchup? Like, I don't remember who they played. Recently, they played a really big team, and he, he started Kaminsky, and then he downsized to Crowder the next game. But what do you think they should do? What's the right vision for this team? Well, I think what Monty's doing is, is like, I think what it does, it creates, uh, Zach, great harmony within your team to know that against specific teams or specific players, it's going to be your night. It's that, like, baseball mentality, you know, where, you know, you're going to come in and pitch against a right-hander or, you know, it, I mean, he, he's going to play the odds, okay? Uh, and, and, and I think that's what Monty is doing. Uh, I think he's saying, hey, you know, Frank, you're probably a little too slow to guard that guy, and we're not going to give you the ball that much to take advantage of that guy. So mm. best we probably won't play you a lot tonight. Uh, sometimes it can become frustrating for a player because all players think that they can do it all, right, and they deserve an opportunity based on maybe they're doing one thing right 
Like Frank is saying, look, I'm shooting the ball well. I'm doing this, and you he's still playing pretty well. I, I was skeptical of the Kaminsky thing. He's, yeah, he, I, you can't argue. He's playing pretty well. He's playing well, and so Frank is saying, you know, why are you penalizing me and thinking that I can't do this because I'm doing this? I still no. Monty has gotten them to accept that this is how I'm going to coach you. Uh, I'm not going to change. Uh, I'm going to play with the rhythm of how I feel that our team is going to flow in any particular situation, and it's worked. Uh, so I think they all have bought into it. I truly do. And I think we saw a prime example the other night, Zach, when at the end of that game, most coaches, I don't care what the rhythm was. It drives me nuts sometimes. And I was like the guy that came off the bench like the last, you know, seven, eight years, nine years of my career is that, hey, man, if we got it going, why are you substituting? Why are you putting them guys back in? We're the ones that got us back in the game. And I love that Monty left Chris Paul over there on the bench. He left Aiton on the bench because Dario Shark was destroying the Lakers and he stayed with that rhythm. And it means a lot to players when a coach does that, man. Because now you show up to work and you're like, okay, if I give him something, he's going to reward me. That's that old school mentality that I miss uh, from a lot of coaches in the league today. I think that's actually one of the hardest decisions for coaches to make is when they have a bench unit that's rolling and it gets you back in a game and then things kind of stabilize. The opponent's got their starters in the game now, so you're not going against backups. It's a really hard decision of like, all right, are these, have these guys sort of maxed out what they can do and we got to get the big right. dogs back in or do we ride with them? I think a lot of coaches err on the side of like what you just said, let's ride with the bench guys and suddenly the momentum peters out. But sometimes it's, it's the right answer. I can tell you what I think for Phoenix. The Kaminsky thing reminds me a little bit of Myers Leonard starting last season with the Heat, where yeah. all season I just kind of kept saying and writing, I think the proper, the, the real version of this team that's going to make noise has Bam at center and a small ball for like Jay Crowder, ironically, around him. And sure enough, that's what Spo did. When they got to the bubble, he went all in. Yeah. He basically scrapped Myers Leonard. And I just think, I know the numbers don't say it, I think the Crowder version of the starting five is the best lineup of those lineups. And I, I I would like to see him lean back towards that. But I do think, and we've seen Steve Nash, another, the Phoenix connections just keep coming. We've seen right. Steve Nash do it in Brooklyn a little bit. Yeah. He's gone back and forth with starting fives based on matchup. We got a big team. DJ, you're going to start. We got a smaller team. Maybe we'll start with no big guy at all. Right. Nick Nurse Nick Nurse has done that a little bit in Toronto, uh, where he would start Ibaka or Gasol or back and forth before settling on Gasol the first year there. I think if the players are okay with it, I actually think that kind of having multiple starting fives is a smart thing. But as you said, players are creatures of habit. They like to know when I'm coming in, what my role is. So I don't know if that's too hard of a sell, but if I got to pick one I want him to roll with the Crowder at the four lineup, personally. Yeah, no, yeah, and, and, and that, that, that's great. And, and, you know, what I would say to players that have a hard time with it, to study the game and anticipate that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you, if you study the game and you understand the trends of the coach, you already know, you know, you can look down the schedule and say, okay, he's not going to start. Okay, I might not play uh, this amount of minutes. I mean, I, I did that as a player. I understood that. Uh, and, you know, Dan Marley and say Dan Marley, myself, Ty Corbin, we knew when we played for the Suns uh, in the 90s that who was going to probably play the most minutes and it would be based on, you know, what the team needed that particular night. And I think every player should have that mindset. 
But I agree with you with the Crowder situation. The one thing Crowder brings you, uh, and you know, you can like get a little flustered at times because he, you know, he's not kind of he got that big body and he doesn't venture into the paint much on drives. But you know what he does defensively, uh, as I said, is his toughness, his, his, his physical toughness too, and the way he attacks everybody. I think it's huge uh, for this basketball team. And he takes big shots. He's not afraid mm. to take big shots. And, and and I love that. You know, he's not a great, great three-point shooter, but he's a very confident three-point shooter. And that's the guy that I would ride with uh, every time. When he goes up, he thinks he's going to make it and not wondering if he's going to make it. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think that's probably going to be the lineup that Monty rolls with as the season winds down. And they get into the playoffs because he knows uh, if he can keep a game close, that Devin Booker and Chris Paul can win it for him. Uh, I was going to say, I love Jay Crowder. I've always liked Jay Crowder. He shoots like he thinks he's Clay Thompson, which yeah, is one of the things. Which is one of the things I love about him. He's just like he's letting it fly, like off the dribble. Guys in his with the hands in his head, yeah. like all right, go ahead, Jay Crowder. Like if that's yeah. what you think, go ahead. And he makes enough of them where you're like, all right. Um, but you look at that, though, Zach, because you want a guy that you can put the brake on instead of a guy you got to speed up. I mean, so I, as, a, as a coach, I mean, you you want a guy like that. I mean, that was my mentality as a player. And and I think when you have that mentality, then the coach will control you instead of the coach trying to, you know, put a, a, a some, some, some speed juice in you to get you to go harder at it or, or be more aggressive. So – I love that with Crowder, and that's why I was very happy the Suns picked them up. So the Suns don't have a ton to trade unless they're willing to do something a little dramatic, which I, I don't sense. But they can trade a future first, a 2027 first. And, uh-huh. you know, they've got some. They, I, I would suspect, given how long the drought has been, that if they sense, hey, we've got a chance to make some noise, they'll at least sniff around some stuff that they can pick up at the deadline or the buyout. But forget specifics. What kind of player, if you could invent a, a player, like a realistic player, not not a star or something, but if you can invent a kind of player to add to this team, what do you think they need? A physical four with size. Uh, somebody that will go in there and, again, as I said, intimidate people. Uh, good offensive rebounder. Let me throw up somebody. Uh, somebody like a Rashawn Holmes, who they had, but I'm just saying somebody that plays like that. Doesn't care about his touches. He's just out there to just throw people around. Just use his, use six fouls, uh, Dwight Howard mentality uh, to protect Aiden. Because, again, he's still a young player, and we need him to be that way, but it's going to be a little work in progress. But I think they need that. I, I, in, in their draft this year, Jalen Smith, I think they hope that he turns into that kind of player. Uh, that's what they need. Uh, somebody that can shoot, that can stretch it out a little bit, and, and not a total liability if he's out there on the court. But, you know, Serge Ibaka, you know, I think that might be the perfect, you know, guy I, I would probably say. Somebody like that. And there's not many of them in the league, but uh, I think that's what they're missing. So I, I was interested to hear your, your answer because um, you and I, I, I know this from listening to you on the broadcast, you and I are two of the bigger Etwan Moore fans in mm-hmm. the NBA, it's a small, it's a small community of us, but we get a lot of enjoyment out of Etwan Moore coming off a screen on yes. the left side and, and launching a floater. And I bring him up because the answer to my question is either the answer you just gave, or 
those that those third guard minutes, the campaign, Etwan Moore, Langston Galloway, Javon Carter, they make me a little nervous sometimes. And Monty has just gone back and forth on which of those guys he trusts yeah. and which of those guys he doesn't trust. If they could find a way to like up, but but you don't know who the upgraded like was Wayne Ellington right. going to come in and change your life or I don't right. know. But those those minutes make me a little bit nervous. You yeah, but you yeah, well, you're you're on team Etwan Moore with me. Right, yeah, and, and and I think Monty has been searching, obviously, right? Uh, you know, because they all give a little something. Uh, they do, uh, and so yeah, I agree with you. I love each one more. I do. I've always he's a pro's pro, uh, and just just the little things that he's done. I think he's a winning player. I think you can put him in there at the end of the game. I think he's not afraid to take a big shot. He can create for himself. Uh, he can get in the paint and find a teammate. Uh, you can throw Langston Galloway out there, and, and if he's hot, I don't know too many players that can that can shoot threes as quickly as he can. Uh, he is a point of minute guy, uh, so he's got a lot of ammunition. Uh, he's got campaign, as you said, he can throw him in there, uh, and defensively he'll pick you up ninety four feet, and he's unafraid to shoot. So you know, so he he's yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if he wanted to look for somebody else and maybe combine two of those guys, I think all those guys could help a playoff team uh, in in regards to a trade. But, you know, and look, James Jones is always looking. Uh, the one thing about James Jones, he's done a tremendous job. And, and he and I have had a number of conversations. And, and the one thing that's jumped out, because he and I think the same way, uh, mature players win for you. Uh, he was a role guy at the end of the bench. He understood that. And the maturity aspect of how he's drafted, how he trades has led to this turnaround for the Phoenix Suns and, and any GM out there that thinks that young players are going to win for them. Uh, good luck in your job. It's not going to last long. Uh, Messiah's jury brought that to the league in a big way and how he drafted in Toronto and how he has traded for players and they won a championship. Well, you can say, oh, well, they got Kawhi. Trust me. They were winning 50-something games before Kawhi get there. You you and I know that. And uh, after. And after, too. It, it, exactly. So uh, that's the mentality James has, and I'm sure the Suns are continually looking. A couple other Suns notes. Um, when I asked people around the league this question I opened with, mm-hmm. why, why are we not talking more seriously about the Suns? One of the answers that comes up is, well, do we trust Chris Paul – to, to keep this up throughout the season. And I think he's right. slowed down a little bit lately. He's had a few yes. games where he had one basket in, in games. So that's a reason for skepticism. But on the flip side, they're 12 and five against 500 or above teams. They've beaten a lot of good teams. That's one of the best. I think the best record in the NBA against over 500 is like 13 and four. So they're really good. And the last thing before I ask you about some childhood stuff for me, I wonder Monty's dabbled a little bit, just a little bit here and there in playing Sarich and Aiton together. And I yes. wonder what you think of that as a potential solution to your, you know, you brought up the need for a physical four. Like, could Dario be that guy alongside DeAndre for three, four, five minutes a game? Is that a look that you think Monty will use? Do you like it? Yeah, I think he'll use it. Uh, because Dario, they can both get out of each other's way. And you don't normally have that, that comfortability with two big guys out there. Dario can shoot the three. And DeAndre can shoot at least a 15 to 20 foot, uh, you know, if he's at the elbows or whatever. Uh, and, and so I think he likes that aspect of it sometimes, to tell you the truth. Uh, he'd love to keep venturing out there from three. And he has the green light if he's wide open out there with, a, you know, good rhythm. 
that he can take the three. So I like that. I, I do. Because I think if, if you if you lift DeAndre and you start to post Dario, uh, he's a very good passer. And I, I think that allows, you know, who's going to go? Who's going to go double? And probably a big guy is going to probably go. Uh, and that leaves DeAndre an opportunity to get on the weak side glass. Uh, so it's a lot of good intangibles there when they do play together. Uh, when Frank Kaminsky plays with him, obviously Frank more so wants to be outside, and then DeAndre Aiden can be in the interior. So he has good combinations with both of those guys, but I suspect that Dario and, and Aiden will get some minutes together. I think they've played 28 minutes only for the season, but a, a few of those, a good bundle of them have come lately. I, it's a look I like. All right, I cannot have you on this podcast without asking you about a defining two months of NBA history for any fan who's in within five years either direction of my age, I'm 43 years old. The 1993 playoffs, it might be the greatest playoffs in the history of the NBA from, from top to bottom. You were on the 1993 Sonics. I don't even know how the hell you got through these 19 playoff games. Your playoff run that year, five games against Utah in the first round. Five games was the distance against Stockton yes. and Malone. Seven games against the Rockets in the second round in, in a in a game seven that came down to the absolute end. And seven games against the Charles Barkley Phoenix Suns in the conference finals. So you went the distance in every series. Yes. You came within a hair of going to the finals and facing Jordan and the Bulls. So uh, you've got young Gary Payton, young Sean Kemp. Like I, I, every series you played, particularly that Houston series, was absolutely epic. What are some of your favorite memories or behind-the-scenes stories from that playoff oh, run? You know, I mean, Zach, I lost so much early in my career playing in Kansas City, Sacramento. Uh, you know, then when I got to Phoenix, we had won 28 games the first year. And, you know, obviously had the drug scandal, had to get through that. And then when they made that deal for KJ and, and Mark West and Ty Corbin, and then uh, signed Tom Chambers, drafted Dan Marley, Tim Perry, Andrew Lane, uh, all of a sudden, I started to get a taste of winning. And that was a very talented team. Uh, at that time, the most talented team I had been on in regards to winning. And then when they traded me to Seattle for Xavier McDaniel, worst trade the Suns ever made, by the way. Even though, <laughs> I love, even though I love Xavier McDaniel. He and I used to fight and battle all the time. He man. was. I, when I he was, when he was on the Knicks, I mean, they just turned him into – uh, yeah. Like like a brawler, man. Whew. Yeah, I, but I love competing against him. Uh, every time I see him, I give him a hug because he brought the best out of me. Uh, but uh, when they made that deal, uh, the Suns went a different direction, obviously, and it didn't work because they traded Xavier, I think, the next year. That's when they traded him to New York. But when I went to the Seattle team, just give you just the, the history on that team initially. When I went there, Casey Jones was the coach. And I left, I got traded in my uniform with, you know, obviously one of my father figures, Cotton Fitzsimmons. I love him to death. Uh, I mean, I miss him dearly. And and so it was the hardest thing he ever had to do. Uh, I mean, he and I both cried. You know, he felt like he had to do the deal and, and fine. He and I weren't getting along too much. I've been with him so many years. And he just was on me, on me, on me. And I kind of started to rebel and fight back a little bit. But when he traded me there, and I was disappointed. But when I got on the plane and I told my wife, I'm like, you know, honey, I'm looking at the Sonic team. This team's talented. Now, at that point in time, it's like they had lost about 13 out of the last 15 games. And so I had to meet them in Milwaukee. I could have taken a few days, uh, but 
I said, no, I'm going to go right now because I, I just think I need to get to that team as quickly as I can. And I met them in Milwaukee. I walk in the hotel. And Sadell so Three, who one of the hardest working dudes you ever want to play with, great teammate. And he's the first guy I run into because they had just flown in ahead of me. And he looks at me and he says, welcome to the twilight zone. <laughs> <laughs> Hold it. I looked at him. I like, okay. And immediately I went up to my room and just bawled, cried. Because I was like, here I am again, back in this mentality that I got out of, you know, with the struggles early in my career. And I just said to myself, I went to Casey Jones' room to talk to him and love Casey Jones. And Casey Jones, you know, just wasn't, the I think, the right coach for this group that we had. But great dude, man. And he passed on, too, a few months mm -hmm. ago, I think. And we're going to miss him dearly. But, man, he looked at me and said, hey, what do you like to do? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? You know, and he laughed because he knew, but it's like it just it added to my tears, man. I'm about ready to cry again. And I left out of there, man, and we went through our first practices and everything, and we started practicing, and I noticed right away we had issues. Nate McMillan and I were, you know, good leaders on that team. We had Michael Cage. We had some very good veterans on that team. And Gary Payton just – you're making the yapping noise with your hands, which is that's what Gary Gary Payton is yapping somewhere right now, probably. Just talking. And just I talking. say that lovingly. Yeah. We all love the glove, but that's love, what he does. Love, love, love. That's like my little brother. Love. But I said, hold up. Something's wrong with this pitcher. He talking during practice. He giving instruction. So one day I bit the bullet. I told Nate, I said, Nate, if he starts talking today, I'm gonna go at him. And I said, I need you to back me up. You know, I'm not worried about Gary fighting me, but I just need you to back me up. And he started yapping. I went at him. And he he looked at me. I said, why don't you shut up and listen to coaches? And he stopped and he looked. You know, and Gary had these two big childhood buddies that like his bodyguards. They like huge dudes, right? So I'm like, you know, I ain't gonna do, I'm not going to fight the dude. But he stiffened up a little bit and he looked at me. And he didn't say nothing. And after practice, I went up to him and I said, look, I, I needed to do that to you because you talk too much right now, man. I mean, are you going to be talented without a doubt? Are you going to be a tremendous player without a doubt? But you need to shut up, man, and just listen. And he did. And he and Sean had a tough time being in practice on time and all of that. And, you know, we worked through all of those issues and all of that. And, man, I'm telling you, Zach, the most talented team I've ever played. I don't I, doubt I, it. It's the most talented. I mean, you think about it. Gary, Sean, Sam Perkins, Derek McKee, Ricky Pierce, myself, Dana Barrows, Michael Cage. I mean, it's the most talented, deepest team I've ever been on. And when they hired George Carl and brought him in, George was a perfect coach for us. George was like one of us, man. He, we can talk junk to him. We can, like, he'd get out there on the court and, like, you know, knock us around. I mean, we had a ball. 
and and George lifted us to a level of confidence. And when we went into that playoffs '93, we thought we thought we knew we were the better team, even though with the Suns having Charles, we felt we were the better team. Uh, and we won the second game there, and the third game is what killed us. Uh, I was dealing with a leg injury, man. I'm trying to do it with smoke and mirrors, and I just sucked. I did. I. It kills me to this day that I had gotten injured at that point in time. I had gotten injured in the Houston series. And, you know, George made me mask it. He wouldn't tell nobody. And I'm, like, playing literally on one leg. And But, you know, again, back in the day, you just have to play through it. And, man, I'm telling you, man, we when we lost that third game, I knew we were in trouble. And the way Charles was playing was ridiculous. And, but man – a great series, man. When we went to Game Seven, man, I mean, they get jumped out on us, and, and and that was the first freaking game in that series where I actually felt good, and I had a good game, but it just was one game too late uh, for me. But man, no, we that I mean, I talk to them guys all the time, man. It, it's it's one of the best teams I think this league has seen that did not, you know, live up to expectations that particular year. They got to the finals, obviously, a couple of years later, but. Uh, that was one of the best teams and best series I played. Yeah, that whole that whole playoffs of '93. If you sat and ranked just the best top to bottom, round to round playoff seasons, that '93 yeah. would be would be close to the top. All right, Eddie, you got to go. Um, thanks for giving us some time on the Suns. I, I mean it. Everyone should look, should check out the local Phoenix broadcast. Kevin and Eddie do a great job, and it's great to have you on. Uh, NBA legend Eddie Johnson. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Zach. I appreciate it. You know, they can listen to me one to four, two on Sirius XM NBA radio. There you go. Uh, I can't keep track of it. You got a lot of platforms. I can't keep track of all of them. You know what, Zach? Since I've been 14 years old, man, I've worked every day of my life. And so that's how I'm going to go out of here working. There you go. Thank (laughs) you, Eddie. Be well. Be safe. Thanks, Zach. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. For the ones who get it done! Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. You know about First Take, but what about First Take? Her Take, a new podcast hosted by Charlie Arnold, Kimberly Martin, and Shanae Agwumake. They discuss and debate the biggest sports stories and delve into topics about their lives and culture. You can find First Take, Her Take, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's bring in the current frontrunner for Sixth Man of the Year. Combo guard off the bench for the red hot scorching, dominating the entire NBA landscape, Utah Jazz, Mr. Jordan Clarkson. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Appreciate you having me. 
I'm hanging in. I'm hanging in, my friend. So I'm going to start with the mea culpa right off the bat. When the Jazz traded for you, I said, and I wrote, I'm not sure this is going to work. They, they, got a lot, they got a lot of ball handlers on that team. Joe Ingles, Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, on and on. I'm not sure I trust his defense. Not sure I trust his shooting, even though he's shooting more threes in Cleveland. You were starting to do those relocation threes where you would be like Steph and get to the corners. I'm just, just not sure I trust it. I'm just not sure. Frankly, what I was really implying was not sure this is a guy I trust on the biggest stage in the NBA. I have already said on my own podcast and in writing, I was dead wrong. You have proven me wrong, but I wanted to say it right to your face. I was dead oh, wrong. Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have proven me wrong. But you probably heard similar stuff from other other people, right? You've heard that about your game, I assume. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely. It was. It's kind of been a big thing for my growth as a player and uh, stuff like that. Uh, biggest thing was for me just kind of taking all that information and you know, applying it to what I do. So, um, you know, it wasn't the first time I've heard that. It wasn't, wasn't the last time I felt like I was going to hear that. So, um, you know, it just kind of entailed to all my, my progress and uh, what I was working on in that summertime, uh, trying to progress my game and uh, have an impact on it when I got here. You could see it starting in Cleveland. Your, your shot selection, and I know the Jazz noticed it because I've talked to them about it. Your shot selection started being a little fewer long twos, more threes, more shots at the rim. I'm guessing that was intentional. It was something you worked towards. But how did that process start? Like, why did that start happening in Cleveland? Um, I mean, after, you know, Brian had left, uh, we weren't really, really winning uh, much games um, and weren't really competing for a championship or anything at that time. So I kind of just uh, got on the staff, uh, Steve Frankowski, um, you know, we kind of sat down and kind of went over like basically my shot distributions and stuff like that, uh, where I was getting shots. And uh, he basically told me why you shoot knees when you could take two steps back and shoot a three. And, um, you know, why you shoot nose when you could get all the way to the rim and finish at the basket. Uh, just just simple stuff like that. And he kind of just broke it down to me. Um all the way to the T and I just started working on it, adding it in uh, while we was playing those games in Cleveland. Um, and then when I got to the Jazz, uh, Quinn came up to me and said the same thing. They were telling me the same thing in uh, in Utah. So kind of just translated over and, um, you know, I just took it from there and he gave me the freedom to kind of go out and do that. And then we got a bunch of talented guys and shots were very open and uh, a lot of stuff was easier for me. So, uh, it just made the, the transition from shooting those long mid-range twos and stuff like that uh, much easier for me. We're coming up, somehow, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of when the NBA shut down. Um, and it happened at a Jazz Thunder game in Oklahoma City right before tip-off. I wonder a year out, sort of, what your just what images, what flashbulb memories you have of that night, what you're always going to remember 60, 70 years from now, what you'll tell your grandkids. Like, what do you re what do you take from, what do you remember of just the, it must've just been complete chaos, confusion, but what are some of the things you remember? Conversations, moments, whatever. Uh, Matt, to be honest with you, I just remember calling my family. Uh, I was, I was kind of shook that night. That was uh, the craziest thing. I just remember walking off the floor and then those the the testers and everybody coming in 
looking like we was like Monsters Inc. characters uh, with the whole suits on and stuff like that. So that's what I could remember. I remember, you know, we couldn't, we weren't able to get in the hotel. So we was outside for a while. I remember staying up that whole night, basically a whole almost 24, 48 hours because, you know, we left in that morning, came back to Utah and I had to inform my family of all the stuff that was going on and everybody was panicking. So those, that, that day, that night was uh, just crazy. It was a, a crazy experience that, you know, I'll never forget either. From what I remember, Chris Paul, like, brought you guys wine and stuff, right? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, he did, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, he dropped it. Uh, I guess he had somebody drop it off at the arena. It was about, uh, I think it was like, it was a bunch of bottles, 10, 12 bottles, really good ones. Uh, definitely trusted in him on, on picking the wine selection, but uh, we finished those before the night was over. <laughs> red white what's your preference i'm red red i love a good cab uh subpoena as well so after that happens the nba goes on hiatus for a long time obviously rudy and donovan both contract the virus and then there's some media coverage about well this is going to be the end of rudy gobert and donovan mitchell the, the resentment the hostility this is not salvageable going forward obviously I never wrote that or said that. I never actually believed that. Um, but that has been proven completely wrong. I mean, it, not only was it salvageable, you guys have the best record in the NBA, but internally, I don't know who you're close with on the team, who you were talking to, but were you ever worried like this could this could break us as a team? Or are you pretty confident in the fabric of the team? Uh, I was pretty confident in the fabric of the team. You know, we had uh, seconds where we, we kind of like, disappeared a little bit from each other but we all kind of had to sit down and uh really look at things and um you know just take it all in one and uh when we got to the bubble it just was like uh it was we were all inseparable um the bond just grew way more um rudy donovan all of us especially me because to be honest with you i was only there for maybe two months uh I didn't really spend much time with anybody, didn't know anybody's name for real, training staff, any of that. So um, I was kind of getting to know everybody. Uh, and then when I got to the bubble, just having that time, uh, we didn't have no, it was nothing else to do, bro. <laughs> All we could do is talk to each other and hang out with each other uh, when we can. Uh, and then getting to know everybody, that, that was just a, a big thing for us. It made our group really, really tight knit and uh, together. What did you guys, I remember early on there was like, I, now I'm remembering there was some photo or video of like a ping pong tournament or something. Like what yeah. was the jazz go-to activity? Were you pool guys? Were you after game wine guys, ping pong, everything? Like what was your go-to? Uh, me and Joe were big afternoon, uh, after the game, uh, wine guys. Uh, but the biggest thing we came back to was ping pong. Uh, we had a little bracket. Everybody was racking up their wins and stuff like that. Played a lot with Rudy. Uh, he's probably one of uh, one of our better players at ping pong. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if his if well. his height is Rudy's height is an advantage or is it, it, it reach? He can get everywhere, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. he covers the table. Uh, but that was a that was a, our main thing. I think uh, we did a lot of ping pong. We had that in our meal room. So uh, before film, before we ate, before anything, we were in there playing, playing. We'll we'll show up thirty minutes. 45 minutes before a meeting and we're all down there just playing, uh, having fun. So uh, that was a big thing that brought us together. 
Coach Snyder get involved at all, or is he just like the players have the no, big no, no, no. Uh, Quinn didn't play. He probably snuck some games in with the coaching staff, but uh, we never saw him get on the table. Okay, so one of the most iconic, for better or worse, moments in recent NBA history. I want you to tell me what you remember of this. It's going to be a little painful, but it's going to be all right. Is all right. J.R. Smith forgetting the score of the game in game one of the NBA Finals 2018? Then there's the overtime, and in between there's that TV timeout where they have showed the famous video of LeBron just sitting there talking to nobody. So you were not – I rewatched the clip. You were not in the game when that happened. But right. what do you remember? I was trying to see, like, where are you watching it unfold and all that, but what do you remember of, of that? Um, I remember him – I remember the free throws. And I think Kevin or – Kevin might have got subbed out of the game before the first one or something. And I remember him coming to the bench and I we like I gave him a hug. We were like screaming, like, yeah, we about like really excited that we was gonna win this first game. Um so George just knocks the first one in. Uh and then he missed the second one. Uh and I see, you know, JR gets the rebound and starts dribbling out. We start dribbling out. Of course, I'm thinking we up too. Like everybody, everybody on the bench when he gets the rebound and starts dribbling out, we thinking, "Oh, this is a great play. He's up." But as that's happening, we look up and <laughs> we were just like, everybody was just in total shock. Uh, that's that's probably one of the craziest moments I've I've been a part of in in the league ever. But um, you know, it was that's it. That's all I could say. It it just was crazy. Because uh, we thought we had that game won. Uh, and, man, it was just a lot. We had another timeout. Uh, it was just a lot of stuff that uh, <laughs> went on that shouldn't have went on. But, hey, it happens. It's part of the game sometimes. But, man, that was just – that's a tough one to swallow. Though. So you're saying the way – but just – you're saying the way he started dribbling out, you you yourself for a second thought, like, yeah, we might be ahead. I, yeah, for a second I just was like – Cause I mean George at the st- at the time too was a you know ninety percent free throw shooter. Yeah. We ain't used to George missing free throws, so we like oh we got this in the bag after he makes the first one. So as Jr. dribbling out, I'm like oh we up then, and then as I'm looking up again, I'm like oh wow, no this cannot be happening. It's just it was so quick. It was a it was a crazy moment. Uh, uh man in my career i can't even i don't even want to try to remember that and seeing it everywhere on the internet the next day and keep seeing it uh it was crazy just something that you got to kind of let pass so the biggest secret that one of the biggest secrets that's ever been kept during the nba finals was that after that game lebron punched the whiteboard and broke a bone <laughs> in his hand and none of us knew like it started to trickle out before the last game of the series yeah. like and someone asked me like hey have you heard this rumor that lebron hurt his hand I'm like no i haven't yeah. heard that and then after he shows up with the with the brace or whatever so you guys yeah. did you all know right away and just keep it secret like did he hit it did, did you see him hit it was it just a full-on like right-handed like bam punch right on the board uh yeah it was pretty uh it was pretty intense um uh, uh, I felt bad for the whiteboard, um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah, he toughed it out and gave us a uh, amazing performances after that. It was it was just 
insane. Just shows how great of a player he is and how he impacts the game. Um, but yeah, I remember even after the game, we kind of pushed media back too. Um, we all was just kind of sitting in the locker room. It was dead silence um, after that loss. That that was a uh, that one hurt a lot. <laughs> so you might win six man of the year. Julius Randle just made his first All Star team. D'Angelo Russell has made an All Star team. Brandon Ingram has made an All Star team. Larry Nance is a beloved member of the Cavs and was having the best all around season of his career. Do you ever think back of like we actually kind of had something going with the Lakers? Like if it, obviously it's worked out fantastically for the Lakers, clearly, but like that like all of us, you know, for two years it was like with the Lakers' young core, how, how is it going to work out? But and like then they change directions and you guys kind of scatter around the league. But hey, like look, you guys all got pretty damn good yourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can't look back at them and be like, man, we could have had a, a great team or whatever, but I feel like it, it all fell in place uh, how it was supposed to. Um, we all got an opportunity to grow in our own uh, molds and um, really continue to, you know, progress our games and and uh, be who we are now. So uh, definitely was a blessing that uh, the Lakers took a chance on, you know, all of us drafting us. Uh, putting their trust in us um, and uh, you know it's just it's crazy when you look at that and like man they they got these uh, really good players these young guys uh, that they trusted in and uh, we all kept kept a uh, foot on the gas after we got traded didn't let that really bog us down or anything and kept going was it weird to watch them win it all last year uh no not not necessarily uh just because I, I play with Braun as well um and just seeing them uh do great things is uh is, is really nice too so when the when the lakers made that trade they traded you and larry to cleveland for isaiah thomas and i don't remember all the other particulars i think a pick was involved too one of the immediate reactions in the media was oh that's interesting um the Cavs just helped the lakers open up cap space to sign LeBron James away from the Cavs. And so, lo and behold, that happens. You and Larry don't get to go back to L.A. with LeBron James. You stay in Cleveland. Nah. Was did you? Was that something that you guys talked about when it happened? Like, this could, this could be a strange situation where, yeah, this trade is going to help us make the finals, but it also might help the best guy go out the door? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think me and Larry kind of uh, said that to each other um at one point in the year we're just like yo he he really might go to la after this so uh <laughs> let's enjoy this time with him but um yeah it, it was crazy just to, we just wanted to enjoy the experience uh playing with that team knowing that we was going to do something special getting to compete in the playoffs that was that was the first playoff series and or anything that I, i've ever been to and just playing with him that that you know heightens everything and it was a great experience for me. wasn't great performances, but um, you know, it's just something that uh, I had to take under the chin and and get better. And whenever I made another playoff appearance, I was gonna be ready for it. I heard a funny story about you, about when you got to Utah. <laughs> a couple of your teammates, Joe Ingles and George Yang, told me Jordan came up to at least Joe, maybe other people, and said one of the first things you said to Joe, first shoot around. You can tell me if this is true or false, was, hey, Joe, you know, if you ever have the ball at the end of the shot clock, 
I, I know some some guys don't like to shoot in that situation. Like it's it's going to lower your field goal percentage. Like they call it like the flaming bag that someone passes to you. Yeah. You you can just pass it right over to me. I'll happily take a shot and get us a bucket. Is that true? Yeah, that's very true. That was the first thing I said to him. Um, cause I it wasn't even actually shoot around. It was uh, cause uh, the day I got traded, uh, I think it was like Christmas or something. They was in Miami, and I spent Christmas at home, and I flew in. Uh, the day of the game, we played Portland, and I kind of just walked in the locker room. I did, no shoot around or anything. I just told Joe, just like, uh, what you exactly what you said, yo, bro, if uh, cause I knew I was he was in the unit with me, and uh, he was gonna be playing. So I was like, bro, if you ever get it late shot clock and you don't have nothing, just throw me the ball. I'll make sure we score, or I'll get a shot on the rim and make a play or something. Just make sure you get it to me. Anything under two, five seconds, anywhere. Just feel comfortable throwing the ball to me. <laughs> Most people don't want that. Most people don't want the ball with two on the shot clock. They're going to have to heave up a shot. So does this, at the end of quarters, now I'm going to have to go back and do my research. If you get the ball at the end of a quarter, will you heave it up or are you going to do the thing where you wait for the buzzer to sound and then heave it up? No, no, I try to I try to still get a shot up. Good man. <laughs> That's... Um, so then you get to the bubble, uh, and you have this incredible series against Denver and that, that last 15 seconds, the ball getting poked away from Donovan Denver somehow bizarrely trying to score instead of run out the clock and Mike rattling that shot in and out. I fell off my couch at home screaming and I don't even care who won the game. And my wife was yeah. like, what, what just happened? What are you screaming? So I, I was trying to find you again. Like, where's Jordan? You know, like Joe, Joe bends over. Someone on your bench falls over. What do you remember? Like, what do you remember of watching that? You you must have been like, wait, what's happening? What, what shot might go in? Like, what do you remember of watching that? I just remember Denver was trying to score, like you said. And I was like, well, we got we got time to, to score. Like... We get this. We we got we got a chance still. I thought Mike, I thought Mike shot went in actually, and I just because I was like I think I was kind of towards like the corner of the backboard end where you kind of like walk towards back to the locker room. So all I could see is like the ball coming out. Like so, I thought it went in and like rolled out and like just came out the basket. And I looked at everybody else. Everybody was on the ground. And I just was like, oh, man, we just lost the game. But I literally thought he made the shot, and we were in the next round, and we was about to go. But, um, yeah, that was a tough one. We had a chance to win. I uh, feel like we in uh, all of our games, and we have chances to win. So uh, that was a tough one uh, to swallow again. But, man, that, that was a crazy experience. Another time where I thought we was winning. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what's- – What's the locker room like after a moment like that? Like who, like, like who talks? Does Quinn talk? Does anybody talk? Do you guys just get dressed and go have a drink? I mean, what do you do to digest a loss like that? Uh, at first, it's very silent. Like, it's, it's no talking. Um, you know, guys is in their emotions. You know, some guys get super angry. Some guys is, like, super sad, you know, hiding their tears in their, in their hands and stuff like that. Uh, you kind of just got to give everybody – they space literally after the game. I, I don't think we uh, text or, you know, talk to each other for maybe like an hour, 30 minutes. 
two hours and then after we was like yo we got to get together uh we all just went down to the restaurant and kind of let it all out had a few drinks and, and talked and uh kind of got over that loss in that series i mean that's all we could do is uh that and try to pull it together because we knew the season was about to come back again um soon and we had to get ready for that tell me about frank sinatra pre-game music <laughs> Oh man! So it, that that all started with uh you know Kevin me me and K Love, um, we always play uh that's life, um you know before the games and uh after me and him used to go to this uh pizza spot in Cleveland um sometimes after the games and uh Il Roni Il Roni pizza really good um you know we kind of just used to chill drink wine and uh, hang out we used to have him play Frank. Uh, and all that during that. So, I mean, it was just something that kind of got me locked in. Um, and then that's when the Joker movie came out, and I was like, oh, this is crazy. And then, you know, it's just uh, – and then I just kind of grew a love for Frank Sinatra, and, you know, I listened to a lot of his music. It's pre, it's a pregame routine for you? It's part of the pregame routine? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I haven't seen the Joker. I haven't routine. seen the Joker movie. Do I need to see the Joker movie? Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good movie. Okay. Um, So you guys are number one in the West. I think everyone has elevated your team into the championship conversation, deservedly so. I think there will always be some skepticism of like, when you get the Lakers or the Clippers, well, who's guarding Kawhi and PG? Obviously, you have Royce is is your sort of go-to stopper. You know, Rudy will probably guard AD if and when you play the Lakers. But do you feel like we, we fit right into that conversation? We're not worried about those matchups. Like you, the, you can flip it around and say, well, who's guarding the way we're shooting threes and the way our blender runs? And the, like you, you feel like you're right in that conversation now. Yeah, I think I think we are in that conversation uh, of being contenders. Um, and the biggest thing for us is that we we really aren't uh, worried about that stuff, um, guarding other teams and doing that. I think we're more locked in and um you know envisioning ourselves in our system um and doing what we do defensively as well um uh, to help beat those teams you know we are we're really we really rely on each other um you know the all the guys in the rotation uh to do things you know it starts from the top all the way to the bottom and you know it you can see that defensively and offensively uh without each other i think we really don't have much um so with us thinking that way us being all on the same page i think uh helps us a lot yeah you're second in defense overall behind the lakers and it really does shine through like you guys are on a string one guy slides to help everyone else slides right with him it's been it's been interesting to watch i read something i i didn't know about you which is that at some point in your nba career i think you worked with steve nash privately yeah. like tell me mm-hmm. tell me about that like what did he help you with how did that happen um I mean, Steve, he was my teammate first. Um, oh, my God, my that's rookie right. Year. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, he had uh, ended up getting hurt that year and ended up retiring. So, um, yeah, that's how it started. I, I really was working with him and stuff in the mornings. Uh, of course, with Kobe and stuff as well. Uh, but Steve, me and Steve were going in late night, like 8, 8, 9, 30 at night um getting work in all of it was like balance trying to get me to slow down uh being able to make reads and 
um, stuff like that. Uh, but the main thing was was really balance uh, on my shot, um, staying low, staying ready. Uh, you know, he kind of broke everything down uh, to the T and, you know, it's definitely helped me grow as a player and, and who I am today. I still do some of that stuff. I think you see uh, when when KD was a uh, he does a lot of that stuff in his warm up too, uh, like the one legged stuff when mm -hmm. he's spinning around and doing all that. That's uh, a lot of Steve's work um that he's kind of implemented uh, over there as well too uh are you surprised he's the head coach of the brooklyn nets with kevin durant james harden and kyrie like how wild is the nba steve nash is the coach of the brooklyn nets with those three guys are you are you surprised that that's his job now uh i'm not surprised but uh that is pretty crazy though uh but that's a that's a great person to do it um it was a it's a tough job for him probably but I know he's loving it. He loves to teach. He loves to uh, do all that stuff. And he's a great leader. So um, I hope the best for him. A few more quick ones and I'll let you go. Uh, how much did Byron Scott make you guys run when he was the oh. Lakers? He's he's old school, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's probably why Steve retired after that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, B. Scott, man, he used to... He used to uh, he used to put it on us, man, but uh, he's he's done um, – he did a tremendous job uh, coaching us as a young, young guys as well, you know, putting that structure on us, um, making us get up in the mornings and, you know, telling us to get in the gym. Hey, you need to be around these vets. You need to listen to them. You need to do all this. And, um, you know, like you said, he's an old-school coach. Um, so, yeah, we did a lot of running, though. I can't tell you though uh what was surprising to me is that Kobe in uh in training camp and stuff he was doing all that he was doing the easy runs uh 25 minutes with your hands up he was doing everything and I, I was kind of surprised because we would rarely see him at practice anyways you know uh when we we started practicing and stuff like that because he was recovering um you know from his workouts and stuff like that in the mornings but uh he was there during training camp going going hard. <laughs> obviously you were there for the I don't I don't I don't like to rope people into Kobe conversations but someone from yeah, the Lakers yeah, told sure. me ask Jordan about the 60 point game because he was there yeah. for it and I know that it meant a lot to him you know I know he was hugging people in the tunnel just like couldn't believe he witnessed this so to tell me sort of what you remember let, let's focus on the happy like that game is an all-time moment what do you remember from that uh that I'll never forget that game um that was just amazing I remember just um sitting on a bench and he was like i think it was like one maybe one for seven or he might have been oh for seven or something in the beginning and then he he hit, he hit a mid-range pull up going middle and i was like oh it's over it he, he just needed to see one fall and after that another three he banged a three and another post up score score i think he ran off just so many points and like a little bunch in that first and uh i was just like all right, this is gonna be this is gonna be crazy. Something to watch. And I don't know. Everybody kind of was on there, like, man, we got to see what he's gonna do. And then without it being said, we came in the locker room like, yo, we got to get this man the ball, no matter what. Nobody shoot nothing. I think every every point I scored was like a layup or a dunk. Uh, if that was on a rebound or a steal, leak like out. Like you, or something. like you have to shoot. Yeah, like I had to shoot it. Now that was the only way. Um, 
But yeah, that that game was just amazing. The atmosphere was crazy. Kanye was in the back after. Um, I mean, we was popping uh, champagne bottles. We just had a great time after that. Felt like we won a championship um, when that happened. But uh, it definitely go down as one of the best memories I had uh, as a Laker and and being a pro. I have to ask you about this. You're not going to want to talk about it, but it would be dereliction of duty to my listeners if I did not ask about it. So I'm okay. sorry in advance. Blame the <laughs> listeners. Were you there when J.R. Smith threw soup at Damon Jones? I'll, I didn't witness it. Okay. Uh, I did not witness it, but uh, I was there. Like, uh, we had a meeting after that, and JR just, you know, walked into the meeting like nothing else happened. And uh, I remember <laughs> I remember coming to the game, and I, because JR is like really, me and JR are real close. I just remember coming into the game, asking where he was at. And uh, it was like, oh, you didn't hear about this morning? I was like, no, we have film right after. I don't know what's going on. And it was like, and then I looked on my phone, and it was like, uh, he threw soup at uh, Damon Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not, it's not. I mean, it is kind of funny, but it's also if, if I were Damon Jones, it wouldn't be that funny. Um, yeah. Although he's now subsequently talked about it. All right, you've got to go. We've given, <laughs> given you half an hour. Just give me one thing you want to focus on second half of the season in your game. It could be a little thing. Could be a little thing on defense. It could be something. I don't know what. Just give me one thing you got in your mind of like I want to get this locked in before the playoffs. Uh, shifting on defense. And closing out to, you know, shooters, uh, keeping them out the paint. Uh, that's the biggest thing for me. And just other than that, just keep continuing to what I'm doing. Um, shoot threes, try to get to the rim. Um, and that's really it. I know a lot of people like uh, be saying all oh, the mid-range and stuff like that. I still, you know, would get there and shoot them when they're open uh, at the right times and, and do that. But uh, keep continuing to, you know, take the shots that are available and, um, you know, just doing what I'm doing now. Uh, listen, man, it's been really fun to watch. You're one hell of a shot maker and you just get you get where you want to go. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know how you do it. But I, in, in one of my columns, I said he reminds me of like a skinny Boris Diaw. Like Boris would get the ball at the top of the arc and just kind of like dribble, half spin, dribble. All of a sudden he's at the rim. You have a little. So it's yeah. been fun to watch. You proved a lot of us wrong, including me. And so congrats on your success. Keep it up. And thank you for making a little time. Jordan Clarkson, everyone. My God. Appreciate you, Zach.